I have been so blessed in my, in my lifetime. Uh, growing up as a, as a, as a young kid in a, in a family where my mum in particular loved God and, and we used to go to church all the time. And, and, uh, but the main thing, uh, is that, that wasn't the blessing really. It was a blessing. The main reason is because I had this in my life at a very early age. And I started reading it and consuming it and devouring it in my life at a very young age. That's why I've been so blessed. And it's also why we keep reminding us how good it is and what a good thing it is to develop consistent habit patterns of reading this and consuming it. I just want to give you an example. This week, I had a bit of a, a little, I was a bit discouraged one day early in the week. And, you know, some things weren't happening the way I wanted them. And some other things were just not happening the way I didn't want them. And, and so uh, and I, it was affecting me a little bit. And that night, uh, I, was, I was awake in the night, and, I, and this scripture just dropped into my heart. And it only came into my heart because it came out of here, you know. So, um, and in the morning, I looked it up, and I looked it up in a different translation. It was, it was from the Psalms, and, and King David was, was saying, you know, I've got all my enemies are all around me. And when and, uh, he started speaking out God's word, and he said, he said these words, um, speaking to his enemies, even though they weren't listening to him right then, but he said, who got picked? Who was the one who got chosen by God to lead this nation? And I just began to think about that. And all of a sudden, it just dawned on me that, you know, God has called me. God picked me for something special, like he picked you for something special as well. And that gives you, I mean, there's a lot of encouragement in that. And all of a sudden, the discouragement just vanished. And it, the reason is because of this, because of having God's word in my heart. So now I want to in- encourage you, if you don't have a regular habit of reading the Bible uh, to you know, right now, in the next few weeks, uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. We're reading right through the whole book of Ephesians, and we're going to be, I'm going to be sharing uh, about that today and in the coming weeks. And uh, it's a good, why don't you start by just getting out the book of Ephesians and say, I'm going to read this through. Like, you can read the whole thing in half an hour, the whole of Ephesians, not very long. Um, but it would be good to let, let God speak to you during that time. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Now, just, could you read the text on that? No, no, Grandma, listen, double-click on Internet Explorer icon. <laughs> you see that? It's the, it's the two-and-a-half-year-old telling his grandma how to negotiate a computer. Okay, now, my point is this. The point is, life is changing radically. Would you agree? The world is changing dramatically. Anyone can relate to that, by the way? A few, a few people. <laughs> You can almost relate to it, Matt. (laughs) The world is changing radically. And you know what? There's one thing that doesn't change at all, which is this, God's word. And the Bible says, you know, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands firm forever, stands forever. You want to find something to build your life on, to build your world around? Build it around this, and it's going to be... Uh, it's going to do you good. It's going to be secure in your life. So we're going to start uh, from getting back into Ephesians now. We looked at chapter 1, and, uh, uh, we, but we left off the last verse. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 23, and I want us just to take a few moments to consider that before we get into chapter 2, where we'll spend most of our time today. And we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about how 
Jesus has been uh, ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, the Bible says, and God has given him all authority over everything in the world. Now, once again, you might not see that right now. You might be saying, well, well, what about the wars that are happening in the world? What about famine in the world? What about COVID-19? What about things that are going wrong in the world today? The Bible says that God has made everything subject to him, and it's in the process of happening. And I, I want to tell you that time will come when he will absolutely rule over everything. And the Bible says every knee will bow before him of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's read, read what it says here. That God has raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. Here's another point, friends. You might say, well, what about this? What about that? One of the problems is we're always looking from our perspective. We're seeing something from our perspective, and we just don't know what God is actually doing. But he's doing something we can't see and something we don't understand. He is. No name and no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. And this is the part I want to come to. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church because the church is Christ's body. I want you to, I'm going to take a couple of minutes here just to talk about what God is doing in the church because God is not just our church live stream, but worldwide. God is doing something amazing around the world today and He's building something that's very significant. And I want us to try and lift our vision lift our perspective a little bit and try and grasp what God is doing around the world today. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Now, some translations say that we, the body of Christ, are the fullness of him who fills everything with himself. What it's really saying is that he works through us what God is doing in the world today, he's doing through you and me. You know, the Bible is really clear about this fact that Jesus is the full representation of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. What did Jesus do? Jesus is the comprehensive and complete and absolute representation of God the Father. But guess what? This verse is telling us here that we are the representation of Jesus in our world. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. Now, I don't want you to get a swelled head in, in saying this, but the point is, you're all he's got. We're all he's got. Now, not, not just us. You know, there's like thousands and thousands of churches and millions and millions of Christians, and people that are, that are following God, that are seeking him, that are that are praying, God, what can I do today? How do you want to use me today? But we, friends, collectively are all he's got. You and I, we are the representation of Jesus in our world. So have a think about this for a moment. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why do churches and Christians get involved in social enterprise? You know, like feeding the hungry and clothing people who need... Why do people do that? I want to tell you, it's because that's what Jesus did. We do it because Jesus did that. Think about some of these little illustrations for a moment. 
one day Jesus was with his disciples and, and they got in the boat, went over the other side of the lake and, um, and Jesus knew what the assignment was. The disciples probably didn't know. When they got there, it was a deserted place. It was actually a cemetery where they landed and it was deserted except for one guy. There was this guy that was controlled by evil spirits and he was like a crazy man. You know, he was naked and the Bible says that they tried to chain him up with, with ropes and chains and he would just smash the ropes and the chains and he would spend his whole time in the tombs, in the, in the cemetery. This is a pretty gruesome story, hey? Just running around and, and no one could control him. And he met Jesus when, when they beached the boat. There he was right there. It would have been a pretty incredible sight, wouldn't you say? And Jesus spoke to that, those demons in him and cast them out. And he said to the men, what is your name? And, and the man said, Legion, for we are many. A legion, by the way, is about three to 5,000 in Roman, the Roman army terms. We are many. He cast them out. And there was a, a whole little scene around that. But then it says that a crowd came. A crowd gathered around because they knew this guy, they couldn't do anything with him. A crowd came around. And when, the, when they got there, it says that they saw the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I want to ask a question this morning. Where did the clothes come from? Well, well, I don't know. Maybe the disciples had a, had a spare, you know, uh, you know, a woolies bag with a few clothes in the bottom of the boat. I, I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they thought, well, we're going for a couple of weeks. We better take a spare change. I don't know. Here's the point. He was clothed in his right mind. And Jesus, they, he made sure, it says, fully clothed and in his right mind. Fully clothed. So, you know, Jesus thought of that. He said, let's get some clothes on this guy. You know, let's, let's, let's get this guy sorted out. It's amazing when you see, you see the supernatural, you see the miracle, and then after that you see the practical. You see the practical after that. What about this one? When uh, one day Jesus is teaching on a, on a mountainside, on the side of a hill, there's thousands of people there, and, and uh, it gets late in the day, and he says to the disciples, well, you better send him away and find some. Well, they said to him, send them away and... Find some food, it's nearly sundown, you know. And He said, you feed them. Anyway, a whole thing happened and Jesus performed an amazing miracle and he fed them with only a few little loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And, and, uh, and then, but it says in John's gospel, when you read it in John, he says, Jesus said to them, gather, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted, he said. And I think Jesus was thinking about the next day and the next day, you know. We don't want to, because it says that they took up 12 basketfuls of, of leftovers. And he said, gather it up so that none is wasted. And I think he was thinking, what, what, are, what are they going to eat the next day? Or what, am I, what are the disciples going to eat the next day? And I can imagine the disciples saying to each other, well, boys, looks like we got leftovers the next couple of days, you know. But he thought about that. He thought about the practical. And Jesus is thinks, he's thinking about that stuff. And so that's why we, as a church, get involved in, social activity and, and enterprise and helping people with food and while we get involved in homelessness and, and helping people where we can. You know, I, I don't know if you're aware, I get phone calls quite often because my, my phone number is on our website. I get phone calls, you know, like at the most inopportune times, Sunday morning often, you know, saying, can you get, can, I need some money, I need some help, you know. And often we can, not always, but often we can help people in that, in that way. 
talking about the church as, as the representation of Jesus in the world. We are, the Bible says, the fullness of him who fills everything with himself. I want to take a moment now just to talk to um, those watching online because I feel God has given me a, a word for you specifically right now. There's this amazing thing happening in the world today called the global church, which has uh, an, an online expression, and it's, it's incredible. I, um, I heard recently, just in the last week or so, of a, one online congregation in, in running coming out of Melbourne, and they've had a million visitors in the last two years that have, that have visited their, their website, uh, their church services, their online services. And it's, it's incredible how the gospel, the message of Jesus is going around the world today. You know, and we're a small part of that. You know, we, we, are, we are doing that. And people are signing up to our, you know, our community group from other countries right now, you know, from Germany and uh, America and um, Holland, places like that. And so um, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and it's so easy to access. You just, like, two clicks, and you can, be, you can be watching someone talk about Jesus. And I want to tell you that millions of people who've never heard the name of Jesus are hearing about Jesus for the first time. What an incredible thing that is. It is so easy to access the global church. But you know, there's another thing, and I just say this specifically to those watching online. There's another thing called, it's another phenomenon that God is doing called the local church. And it's comprised of real people who've got real problems. They've got, you know, hands and feet and faces and you know, they, they love, they, they love people, and it's, a, it's the local church. And I want to say this right now, that God, that Jesus, the good shepherd, is gathering his sheep. The Bible says that he is, he is gathering his sheep. He knows his sheep by name, and he's calling them, and he's gathering them. And he's gathering them, I believe, from global into local. And there's a reason for that, because in the local church, it's a place where you can belong. It's a place where you can serve, and it's a place where you can grow. And the reason why he's gathering them is because there's been a scattering. There's, there's, the Bible talks about scattering, that there would be a scattering. And that's come as a result of many things like a disease called COVID-19. It's come as a result of offense. It's come as a result of disagreement. It's come as a result of just getting so busy, it's come as a result of getting out of the routine of meeting with others. But the shepherd, the good shepherd is gathering his sheep. And the Bible says that God challenges the shepherds of his sheep and he says, if you don't gather the people, I myself, God says, I myself will step in and I will gather them myself, God says, and I'm going to bring them so that there'll be one, one fold and, and one shepherd. He says, so God is gathering, the good shepherd is gathering his sheep right now to a place where they can belong, where they can serve and they can grow from global to local. Let's move on. It's so easy to engage with global. It can be easier than local. It's a lot easier just to do two clicks. But Jesus is gathering his sheep today. I want to get back into the book of Ephesians right now. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is all about the grace of God. It's all about God's love poured out upon us. 
and everything that God wants to do in our lives. And uh, let's, let's start reading a little bit of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, this is Ephesians 2 verse 1. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. Now he's talking to everyone here, okay? He's talking to people who were, you know, of, of Jewish uh, um, background, who, who grew up with, the, you know, with the, the Old Testament, with the Bible, and knew something of the ways of God. And he's talking to people who'd come into that church in Ephesus who knew, who knew nothing previously, but had had an encounter with Jesus. They'd met, met Jesus. And he says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Isn't that true, folks? That that's what we do. We grow up with the, so much of the, um, the impression of the world upon us. We let the world give us our cues about living. We learn about how to live from the world around us. And that's one of the problems. We, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. He says, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. Now, he's talking about a person who, who before they met Jesus, right? You know, that's, that's what happens. He said, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. But instead... And this is, the, this is the really good part. This is the good news now. Immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. Now, some versions of the Bible say that, that um, before a person has met Jesus, in this passage here, Paul actually, he describes them as actually being dead in sin. In other words, spiritually dead or disconnected from God, or not having any, any sense of God, whatever, in their life, but spiritually dead in sin. And this says here that he made us, he took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Now, I think about times when, as a, as a young child, as, a, as about a 10-year-old, you know, I, I used to, I was in church uh, with my mother and my brothers, and, and uh, we would go there and uh, Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, every week. And, and uh, you know, I think of the many times that the Word of God would really make an impression on me. You know, I'd, I'd sense, you know, this is something so powerfully affecting me. And I'd respond to that. I'd go at the front at, at an altar call and someone would pray for me. And what was happening? What was happening there is I was coming to life on the inside of me. I was 10 years old. You know, I was physically alive, but I was previously spiritually dead and I started to come to life on the inside. That's what happens. When a person says yes to God and opens their life up to Him, something comes alive on the inside. It's like a little light bulb gets turned on. A little flame starts flickering on the inside, and, and you know that something's different, that you've got a connection with God at that moment. That's what he's talking about. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. What an awesome thing that is. Okay, now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower his grace and his kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and his work. This is the thing that we really need to get a hold of this morning, folks, that we can't save ourselves. 
you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. You know, it's got to be what God does. It's got to be a work of God that comes into our life. Um, you might say, well, where, where's the rules to live by in this? You know, this is, when we're just looking, about what, looking at what God has done, saving is all his idea and all his work. He's got all the time in this world to shower his grace and his kindness upon us. That sounds very much like it's all about God, what he's doing for me. What about, what about my responsibilities? What about some rules for living? It's okay, folks. Just hang on a couple of weeks. We'll get there at the end of this, end of this book. There's lots and lots of rules for living. We will get there. But right now, we're talking about who we are as a follower of Jesus, who we are, who God has made us to be, and everything that God has done for us. And it's really important that we get this right at the start of this book. That's why Ephesians is like this. It starts off talking about our position in Jesus. So saving is all his idea and all his work. You know, I grew up with um, reading Psalm 15 in the Old Testament. And it says this in, uh, in the old King James Version. It says, Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? In other words, who, you know, who can, who, who can come into the presence of God? Who, who's, who, is, who is good enough to come into God's presence? And it, and it lists, lists after that a whole list of qualifications of the kind of people that can come into God's presence. And another translation, uh, a modern translation says, Who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get, or, or God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get on your guest list? Here's the requirements. It says, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friend. Don't blame your neighbor. Keep your word, even when it costs you, all these things. And I spent my life living, living out those, or trying, to, trying my best to live out those things, because I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy who gets invited to God's house, that can come into the presence of God and, and be there. I just wanted to be that person. So I did my best to stick by all of those rules, and then one day, I read the New Testament in Matthew 22, which is the story of the wedding of the king's son. And it's a story about a king who, who gave a, a big wedding feast for his, for his king, for his son. And it says that they sent a message out to invite all the guests who'd previously been invited and uh, say, you know, come to the wedding. But they all made excuses. They were so busy. They, some, one had to go and look after his veggie patch and one had to go and you know, look at his new property that he just bought and wanted to do something else and they were too busy. And then so the king said to his servants, well, go out into the busiest intersections of the city and bring in everyone you can find. So they did. They went and they got everyone they could find, brought them in to the, to the wedding feast and it says, and, and at last, his, the wedding feast was full. It said they went out and brought in good and bad regardless. And I was just reading that again the other day. And it's so profound, the difference between the old covenant, which says, this is what you have to do to qualify if you want to be in God's presence. And over here in the New Testament, they went out and brought everyone, good and bad regardless, so that they could be in the wedding feast. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good deal to me. Because I spent my life trying to qualify over here and could never, I don't know, never could quite make it. But over here, God says, good and bad, regardless, you're in. That sounds like a good idea. Now, you might say, well, does that mean that heaven is full of really bad people? 
I want to tell you this. When you, when you get a hold of the fact that you are accepted by God and loved by God, and when you know that He has invited you to His wedding feast, when you know that He has reached out and, and showered His love upon you, when He has done everything to make it possible for you, you can't help but want to change your life. And, and you find you, your life will change. Things will start to change. Just the first thing is understand what God has done for you, and then you'll start to change. Things will start to change in your life. I can guarantee it. That's the way it works. How do we get on your guest list? We just say, God, I just open my heart to you. I say, yes. That's all you've got to do. Say yes to him today. Say yes to Jesus today. Amen. You know, we love, we love the list of rules, don't we? We like having things. We, we like a list of things that's predictable uh, so that we can, we can uh, judge us or evaluate ourselves on, on, on the basis of the rules and say, well, um, yep, um, I've kept that one, I've kept that one. We feel better about ourselves if we've got the list of rules. And, but we also, at the same time, want to look at other people and say, well, I kept that rule, but they didn't. Because we like to compare ourselves with others, don't we? Is that the way it works? We're all like that. We, we like to do that. But God says, I'm sweeping that out of the road. And, uh, you know, um, he's given us guidelines. We have, now we have guidelines. And if you've got a heart towards God, you'll be very interested in what the guidelines look like. Okay, so let's move on. So all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we'd better be doing. Don't you like that? <laughs> That's how the message puts it. So here's the question. Is this, is this something to do, now, now that I've become a Christian, now that I've given my life to Jesus, is this, what do I need to do now? Well, well, yes, are there things to do? Yes, of course there are. There are things to do, but afterwards, afterwards we understand what he has done for us. When, then we can learn to rest in him and we can work from that place of rest. That's, it's so important that we get that. You don't need to do anything to, to make God accept you. You just need to come and say yes and receive him into your life today. It's that easy. But it's yet, yet it's this, this right here is where most people get it wrong because we think there are so many things that we need to do before God will accept me. We, you don't that there are things that you can do for him after you receive Jesus, after you understand what he's done for you, after you get that, that life of God flowing within your heart. Okay, we're going to move on. This is the second, the second part. The first one, that was grace of God, grace when we need it most, grace when we're at, when, when we're at our worst. He shows us his grace. He shows us his love. Now we're going to move on and talk about grace for our differences. This is verse 14. The, 14. the Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes it hindered more than it helped. Now this little section is really all about 
Jewish people and non-Jewish people. You might say, well, what's that got to do with me? A little bit. You'll see in a moment. It does have a bit. But also understand, what is it with the Jewish, what is it with Jewish people? You know, as Christians, I want to tell you, God started off, God had to start somewhere. And he started building a nation for himself called the nation of Israel. And so, um, and he blessed them. And they're still blessed today. They are so blessed today. And we need to respect and, and, uh, and love the nation of Israel because God's got a special plan and a special purpose for them. Now, unless you're, if you're not of Jewish extraction, like most of us here probably aren't, um, then that's okay. In a sense, we were all complete outsiders. But now what happened is God, you know, removed the middle wall or that, that dividing wall so that there was no... There was no separation between the two. And I love what he says. This is how he, how he, he comes to, to make it. He says that he made, he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Now that word, a new kind of human being, is really important for us today, folks. You know, in, in um, when Paul wrote his uh, second letter to the church in Corinth, he said these words. He said, um, if anyone is in Christ or in Jesus, he is a new creation, a new creation. Those words, that word new, it means new in quality or, or development because not found exactly like this before. In other words, absolutely new. It's never been seen before. And the word creation means founded from nothing or creation out of nothing. In other words, when God made you a new creation, it's like a new species. It's like, it's like a, an animal that's never been seen before. A new creation. Is, that's true. Can you, get, can you get your head around that? A new creation in Christ is like something that's never been seen before. It's a new species. And that's how God, that's how God did it. He started over. Instead of trying to fix up the problems of the Jews and Gentiles, he just said, well, that's not going to work. I'm just going to start anew. And he put a new spirit in people. He put a new heart in people. And it's like a new species. And that's, that's where he started. Here's the good thing, the good news for us. You might say, well, that doesn't necessarily apply to me that much. But I want to tell you what, G what God did for the Jews and non-Jewish people, he can do for you and for us in the, in the disagreements that we have in life and the things that the differences that we have, a fresh start for everybody, you, you can, the, the disagreements that we have can be resolved in Jesus. I, I really believe that. He started again. Because God has grace. He has grace for our differences. He has grace for our differences. And that's a wonderful thing. The last thing, God's grace for a complete new start. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering, and he's talking to those who were the non-Jewish people here. That's plain enough. You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anybody. You know what I like about that? It, there's a lot of security in that. There's a lot, a lot of security because the Bible says that our citizenship is now in, in heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. 
you know, and if, if you come from another country, you know, may, maybe it was a difficult thing for you to get Australian citizenship. I know, I know how hard it can be. I've, I've heard some of the stories of people who've come from other countries and how hard, how difficult. I know one guy who, um, who came here from another country with a lot of money. He came here as a, a business immigrant, immigrant to, uh, to set up a, a new business enterprise and to start manufacturing some products that weren't being made in Australia that could have revolutionised our building industry. And after about two years of trying to jump through the hoops, it just got too hard. He said, it's too hard. And he left and went back to where he came from. It can be very hard. But you know what? The Bible says your citizenship is in heaven. And, and, and it's not hard at all. <laughs> it's so easy. Your citizenship is in heaven. There's a lot of security in that. So God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. That's a key thing, isn't it? You know, that's why we, we, we always want to keep our focus, keep our eyes on Jesus, because he is the cornerstone. The cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. Here's a couple of things I want to just share briefly as we come to a close. close. And that is, number one, it's a process. You know, the church that God is building, it's a process. And sometimes, you know, you see churches that, that sometimes grow more quickly than others. And sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it takes time. But God is building something. God is doing something. He's building foundations in the church. And it's bigger than us. And it's bigger than what we can see. It's bigger than what we can understand. The main thing is that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. We keep Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And it's so important today that we see the bigger picture of what God is doing, that it's bigger than me. It's bigger than my needs. It's bigger than my, you know, my wants. It's bigger than what, I, what I, I want or need. I'm actually nearly finished. I'll ask our creative team to come back now. Um, you know, some people say, well, uh, you know, uh, I, I go to that church over there because I love the worship over there or... Or I go, I go here because the pastor tells good jokes, tells funny jokes, or, or whatever, you know. Well, we, we have, we've got our own, thank you. We, you know, we've got our likes and our dislikes and all those sort of things. But I, I believe God is saying to us, he wants us to see the bigger picture, what he is building. That it's actually not about my needs or not about me. It's actually about something that he is building. I believe that you and I, friends, were made for more than that more than just my needs or what I can see. We were made for destiny because I really believe that God wants to touch our whole city. I believe He wants to touch a whole generation and multiple generations of people. And so that's what's in my heart. And, and I believe that's the way we should see what God is doing. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than my needs. So God's grace is here for each of us today. You know, when we need it most, when I feel like I'm at my lowest point, when I feel like I'm far away from God, He just says, I'm here, I'm ready to pour out my grace upon you. You know, when we're having our differences, His grace is there. His grace is there for our, for our differences. And when we need to, to understand that he's, he's, it's time for a new start, 
you know, God's grace is there as well for us in all of those situations. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment?